0: All veranda staterooms. Every day a new view. Viking, offering a small ship experience on the world's oceans and a shore excursion in every port. Viking, exploring the world in comfort. Learn more at viking.com.
1: Though he be a recently ennobled member of the King's elite, Sir George Warleggan is not well. Cardi assists Sir George to his room, he's unwell. He is no such
2: thing, my dear. You tell the man perfectly fine.
1: Cardi, take his arm. Finally forced to confront his persistent grief over his wife's tragic early death, Sir George is unable to cope with the personal trauma. In response, his no-nonsense Uncle Carrie confines him to his chambers, for less than soothing treatments.
2: <coughs> These will relieve
0: the melancholic
2: congestion of the brain. <laughs> Blistering will draw out the noxious humors. Bleeding will expunge the mephitic matter,
1: rioting in the bloodstream. George escapes, of course, and is rescued by Cornwall's top medical expert on mental health, Dr. Dwight.
2: Sir so George is clearly suffering from the acute distress of losing a beloved wife. He requires kindness oh and patience. The only lunatic
0: in this room is there.
1: I'm Barrett Brontis and this is Mining Poldark, a podcast from Masterpiece. In an episode as George focused as this one, I thought it would be worthwhile to hear from the man behind the monster, Jack Farthing. Here he speaks with my colleague Jace Lakob on our Masterpiece Studio podcast about George's persistent and debilitating grief.
0: George's investiture ceremony is intercut with Dwight's speech about the nature of insanity. Ladies,
2: gentlemen, fellow members of the Royal College of Surgeons, may I welcome you to this lecture in which I will attempt to articulate my own perhaps controversial views of the causes and treatments of insanity. I have come to consider insanity not as a moral failing, nor an inherited one, but an affliction which may happen to the best of us.
0: Attaining a title was one of George's most coveted goals. Does it feel hollow now that Elizabeth is dead, or is it sort of the next step for him?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you're totally right. I mean, I think I always thought that so much of the pleasure of getting that Getting that knighthood, getting that letter from the king, um, was in telling Elizabeth, And that scene where he comes in and he cradles his child for the first time and then he tells Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I have something to tell you. Before we left London, I had a meeting with the Prime Minister. Yesterday, I received a letter from his office. In recompense for my full support, he will be pleased to recommend to his majesty... That in the new year, I receive a knighthood. Oh,
1: George! <sighs> I am so very gratified. <laughs> I hoped you would
2: be, Lady Warleggan. Then, as a, as you say, yeah, as a thing, after she's gone, you know, yes, it's important. Yes, he he's always coveting power and influence, but you know he doesn't have to, he doesn't, he can't share that with anyone there's no one there to tell him you're wonderful or well done or you're brilliant or what an achievement or you know it's 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 that those are that's kind of gone and so so yeah in a way as you say it kind of falls by the by um,
0: although you know
2: i imagine he loves the sound of being called sir george and that <laughs> that carries on to uh,
0: it's not before long that george is in the grip of what dr penrose calls animal spirits Among the ghastly treatments waiting for him are are leeches. Mm. Uh, How challenging was it to shoot the leech scene, and were those wriggling leeches real?
2: Grim. They were grim. They were real. Thankfully, they weren't ever put on me. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we have done some some leeching around at some point in the past with poldart but with me that it was somehow decided that they weren't going to go on me it was just going to be just sort of they were as if they'd just taken them off me I mean they are extraordinary things I don't know if you've ever seen them they're like, they look like tiny little worms and then they feed on blood and they become like little thumbs they swell up and they are just horrific um, so I was happy to keep my distance to be honest um, but I was covered in all the kind of leech lesions and um, and yeah and they were sort of purging so I was just vomiting you know, grim stuff i mean it was horrid it was horrid that whole all of that that whole kind of sequence of um of treatment as penrose would call it um was grim and sitting in that bath for <laughs>
0: a long time was grim too. This is an episode that asks a lot from you, not just emotionally and psychologically, but physically. I mean, the leeches, the vomiting, the mm. ice bath. I mean, How physically demanding was this episode compared to four seasons of previous work on the show?
2: Yeah. You know, I've spent four years kind of standing very stiffly upright in a tight jacket. Um, and uh, yeah, so th- I've never done anything really like this. It felt very, very different, but it was so nice. It was very freeing and um, and uh, it was, you know, I was liberated by the fact that this character is at the end of his tether and he is someone else, you know, he is behaving out of character, whatever that is. So uh, it, the kind of the ceiling was off. I could go wherever I wanted, really, and uh, just trust that this was, you know, a character cracking apart in a way. Um, so it was lovely. It was liberating, although, you know, running around the sort of cliffs in that little night shirt was, uh, was definitely cold. Um, but you know, as I said before, it's just so it's really nice to be able to really explore a totally different side of, of someone, especially you know, f- after four years in the last series. It felt like I was very lucky this year to to be given those stories and, and uh, those challenges.
1: Let's hold on for a second and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors.
0: Coming up next on Masterpiece on PBS, the premiere of Nolly begins March 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, followed by the premiere of Alice and Jack at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. The lunatic you see has lost all reason, which is the essence of his humanity, his unchained animality, can only be mastered by discipline and brutalizing. But George does escape his prison. Uh, Is his will to survive stronger than these punishments inflicted upon him?
2: In in that moment, yes. Although we had lots of conversations as to where he's running to and, and if he's running away, you know in order to escape the world as much as he's running away in order to escape that room but but i think yeah i think i think in the short term his will to survive exactly he he is is more powerful than than he, you know he hasn't given up he really hasn't given up he is just being traumatized physically uh, emotionally by this doctor um and you know that is what the doctor's trying to do to be fair that is that was their those were their methods um But he needs to leave. Um, And so he does, without a thought, without shoes, without anything. He just, he gets out of there. I mean,
0: which begs the question, you know, why does he run towards Nampara of all places? Is it random or is he somehow drawn there?
2: I think he has to be drawn there. I think uh, it's a very interesting question. You know, I I didn't want it to be random, really, because I I feel like that under... Underserves it. I think it's more interesting than that. Um, so, yeah, I think he is drawn there. He knows that there's this burgeoning relationship between Ross and Valentine. He knows that Ross's life is sort of continuing as normal while his is falling apart. Uh, and he's drawn there. And, you know, in series one, in the first scene between George and Ross, it all starts with George making an offering and making an offering of friendship, really, that Ross rejects. And that's where it kind of, that's where we, that's how we see their relationship begin. And and I think, as Debbie has always said, there is always a part of George that wants to be Ross's friend, that wants to reach out to him, that that needs his uh, praise or his um, admiration. Uh, and and that you know they they have this kind of strange, inextricable link, um, despite their total animosity um so i like the idea that he's drawn there um as a kind of last resort you know just to see and then what he sees is is devastating um because he sort of sees ross being a father figure and valentine happy and and it's too much
0: i mean that scene to me was beautiful he george becomes the ghost here um, he's looking in the window at Nampar, as you say, he sees Valentine with his quote other family. And it is heartbreaking for him to see this sort of happy tableau in front of him. How much does that cut him to the quick and how much does that push him towards his next action?
2: I think it does. I think I, I think it is I think it is the driving force towards his next towards his next action. I mean I think you know he had to have been heading there you know he is he is totally somewhere else. he has run out of this house in a way that we've never seen him do anything like this before um but you know Valentine I guess represents one of the things the last things left that he has in this world, and then he sees him not his really in that moment. he sees him as somebody else's, and all of that past history and, and um, angst and trauma is brought back in an instant and he feels, I guess, useless. He feels like there's nothing for him in the world, nobody needs him um, and, you know, what's the, what's the next step? You know, oblivion, I think, is, is, is his, I, you know, I don't think he's necessarily making these decisions consciously, but I think that's where he's being sent by his emotions.
0: George stands on the edge of the cliff and it looks like he would have fallen to his death had Dwight not grabbed him. Why did you do that? I thought you were about to fall. It matter oh, I know would you allow me to accompany you back to Trenworth? Do you feel George intended suicide in that moment, or is he, as you say, sort of so out of it that he would have perhaps just accidentally fallen?
2: Well, it's a massive question and it's something that we wrestled with a lot. And, you know, that scene went through a few different versions um, where that was more or less explicit. I think what we ended with was really nice because it's sort of underwritten and very... And it kind of leaves it up to everyone else. Um, Yeah, in my head, the way that we ended up shooting it, the way that it looks, I think, is that he is letting himself go um, and is pulled back. Um, But... You know, you don't want to come we don't want to come down too hard either side, really, because it's nice to leave it to interpretation. But you know it's 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 in the air, this this kind of ambiguity between exactly what was happening there. But I think, yeah, in my head, it, it was the end for George.
0: Were you surprised that given George's uh, often villainous behavior, uh, that the audience might actually feel sympathetic towards him and his plight at this point in the series run? Um, was I surprised? I'm not sure I was
2: surprised. I mean, I'm always, you know, you're hopeful. And that's what I was going for, I guess, in a way, because y- you want, in that moment, you want, you know, human empathy to trump everything, really. You know, that whoever this man is, you see anyone in the world going through something like that, and as vulnerable and as lost and as broken as he is, you'd hope that there is a human twinge in us all that... That feels something. And you know, what I've always thought about George is however hatefully he behaves, whatever he's capable of doing, you know, I hope that you always see that it's really coming from a place of insecurity and vulnerability and and a, and a sort of lacking inside him. Um, it's not just, you know, inherent malice. He's not just a baddie. There's more going on. And it's um, the kind of vulnerabilities that we all feel from time to time. So I guess I was hopeful that people would, would connect with it a bit and would allow him, even if it's just for a moment, to kind of, you know, kind of tempt their empathy. Um, it's a question of how long it lasts, isn't it? Because, <laughs> as ever, he's, he's just as capable as, uh, just as, capable as always of behaving terribly as well.
1: That was Poldark star Jack Farthing in an interview with Jace Lakob on our Masterpiece Studio podcast. You can hear more of that conversation and many others beyond it at pbs.org/slash masterpiece studio or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Next time, stirrings of La Révolution Francaise in the village. We'll batten the hatches next. And you can join us in our re-watching adventure here on Mining Poldark by watching the entire series on PBS Passport, a new member benefit from your local PBS station. You can watch select Masterpiece titles like Poldark, Downton Abbey, or Victoria as part of the Passport experience. To learn more, visit pbs.org getpassport. You can also follow along with us on the PBS Masterpiece Prime video channel available as an add-on service to your Amazon Prime membership. Mining Poldark is hosted by me, Barrett Brontis, and Robin Ellis. We're produced by Nick Anderson with help from Robin Bissett. Meredith Wheeler is our field producer. Tina Toby mack is our sound designer. Suzanne Simpson is our executive producer. The executive producer of Masterpiece is Rebecca Eaton. Sponsors for Masterpiece on PBS are Viking, Raymond James, and the Masterpiece Trust. Poldark is a mammoth screen production for BBC, co produced with Masterpiece.